Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. All right, well, welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast and Videocast now. Uh, so if you're tuning in on YouTube, welcome. If you are listening to the podcast online, why don't you hop over to YouTube and maybe jump over there, take a look at us, and you can see our beautiful bearded faces. And But today we're super excited. Uh, Nick is over with our guest, Robbie Ventura, not Ace Ventura. You get that a lot? East Ventura, Jesse, the body Ventura, I get it all. It's Ventura, no chuck. Ventura. There you Ventura. go. Come on now. Ventura. Do we have to use the hand signals too? And Boca in the mouth of the wolf. Uh, and Jackson's <laughs> over there in uh, on Terrible. Oh, yeah. Just there. awful up here. Just awful, but we're, we're surviving. So, Are you snowing we'll on the it. ground? No, it, it melted. We had some warm days. Pretty nice weather now but we're you know people talking about another freaking lockdown so i'm ready to get the heck out of here for a bit if i can we'll see what happens but anyway we're surviving in here yeah everyone's supposed to come to st george for the first week of january for a camp launch team stuff and now we're like well i'm gonna get this airbnb hopefully with a 90-day cancellation policy for crying out loud with these cancellations coming up what, what's the temperature in st george in january it's uh, it's not, it's not too bad. I would say rideable every day, maybe tights one or two days, but arm warmers if you're riding after 1 p.m. Yeah. I'd say probably highs in the you know mid 50s, high 60s, lows in the 30s in the morning. So we usually try to get swimming done in the morning indoors or something, yeah. run outside and stay stay off of the higher elevations where it's snowing. Yeah, I mean it'll snow above 4,500 feet usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but St. George is like this little secluded dome where we get. I, I love St. George. I've, I've ridden there quite a bit. Um, world championships there this year? Last year and this year. Wow. That's going um, to two, two world championships in St. George. You've got the full distance. Yeah. The, the Pseudo Kona. Right. And then we have 70.3 worlds at the end of the year. Yeah. One so. of our coaches just qualified for St. George, uh, the, the full. Nice. Yeah, okay. So, so that's a good spot, a good place to start, Robbie. Um, obviously, we're going to talk some about your cycling accolades as an individual, but You've been running an incredibly successful coaching platform, um, Vision yeah. Quest. Um, it's been you and some other dedicated coaches. Yeah. Why did that happen? Where's it gone? And you know, what's going on? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. When I was a, when I was a professional cyclist, it was really for me um, a fairly. Uh, we didn't have social media. We weren't out there kind of telling people about our lives and helping people along. It's pretty selfish. I mean, you're, you're a professional. Professional athletics in general, I feel, are hyper selfish, right? I think the most successful athletes, unfortunately, have this part of them that's really, really selfish, and yeah. that's why they are really, really successful. But unfortunately, as you get older, that's just not rewarding enough. For me, it wasn't. I was missing something for sure in my life. I have a kid. Once you have a kid, you know everything changes. That full selfish mindset has to be adjusted. Or you're just not going to be a good father. And obviously, we don't understand how important that is. So one little notch that happened is I had a kid and it, and it, it really showed me um, the excitement and the happiness of, 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 of taking the, the focus off of myself. Then I started coaching some athletes when I was a professional. I was on U.S. Postal Service and I just started to do some I started helping out some people. Um, 
they weren't paying me any money. I just had a lot of knowledge. I really, I was like, I was telling you guys earlier before we started that I was not a very talented endurance athlete. I was a hockey player. I was a stick and ball athlete. I was a great baseball player, good hockey player. I was a um, hall of famer at Lake Forest college at hockey played junior A and I aerobically, you know, uh, my, my, my ability to burn fat as a fuel source and, and really have great endurance was not that high. I was more of a, an explosive athlete and I had to do everything I could to keep up with these really good endurance athletes on these long races or up these climbs. I was naturally 180 pounder that had a really fight to be 160 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was constantly having to struggle with my weight, but I maximized training way before. I mean, I was using a power meter way before power meters were in vogue. I saw, you know, I really like looked at every component of the sport of cycling and not just power. I was a track racer. I really learned tactic at a very young age. I raced a lot of bike races. I mean, yeah. you guys as triathlons might race 150 races in your life. I did a season of cycling where I raced over 120 races in one year. That's incredible. So when you have all of that experience, I had incredible coaches and my father was such a great coach. I had all these tactical components that no one else had. I knew about aerodynamics before that became in vogue. And I was able to mask my lack of talent with really maximizing um, all these other elements that I think are, are really uh, what the velocity platform is about is teaching people that nuance of yeah. speed. Um, well, so I can, I can relate completely, Robbie. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with a whole lot of talent. I've just had to chisel yeah. you know, what I can. Um, Jackson, on the other hand, is just born with it and he just does nothing and goes faster. Oh, yeah, I, I actually don't train. I just race. That's it. Eats, <laughs> he just eats Cheetos and snacks and Oreos and just gets skinnier and faster at the same time. Yeah. I always, I always dislike those people. So uh, <laughs> no, so get out of here. No, 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 no. But uh, I think the, 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 the real value of the sport is, is really learning to overcome. Cause even Jack, even the most talented guy, I will promise you is going to run into somebody more talented or he's got a flaw that he has mm. to overcome. And those are the exciting components to me of sport is, is really kind of figuring out that puzzle and getting and performing better than your talent gives you. And even at the highest level, the most talented athlete in the world will lose to a guy that's slightly less talented that maximizes performance yeah. every single time. And you see it. I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's obvious. I mean, the guy, highest VO2 max never wins the world championship. Okay. Look at that. Let's not even think about those numbers anymore, Mr. Rub your VO2 max in our faces, Jackson. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. I just got a pick on you. I haven't seen you. You're, like, You're just oh, misrepresenting me all over the place here. You're the most humble, talented, hardworking guy. I mean, you've got the whole package. I let, don't let me take it from you just because I'm messing with you. But Garrick, were you getting a bit of a arousal talking about hockey there for a second? Yeah, your journey sounds a lot like mine. I mean, obviously, you've maybe won you know, a few more pro races than I've won. <laughs> uh, but that was me, man. I started playing hockey till I was 16, you know, made it to junior. Um, once I hit that, and then I kind of had to shift gears. But I, I feel you. It takes a long time to build up that aerobic capacity. I was lucky when I jumped over. I also had a very knowledgeable coach in James Loring. And he's kind of stuck with me the whole way. So yeah, that's the journey. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you one thing, though, about hockey players. Give me a hockey player any day of the week. So when we have people come in and do testing with us, as soon as they say I played hockey, this guy's got a long, beautiful journey of growth because hockey players, in my opinion, are really good bike handlers. They have an ability to kind of neurologically, they have this component to themselves. They know how to control all their muscles. Um, and they, they know how to suffer and they know how to hurt. And they just, I just, if give me a hockey player anytime over like a, a high school runner and I choose the hockey player. 
Well, look at that. Okay, there's a future for any hockey listener. Uh, jump into the sport. We'll uh, represent you as an agent. Um, so moving forward, Robbie, obviously we want to hear a couple nuggets about your impressive career, the shoulders you've been able to rub over the course of this awesome pro cycling journey. Um, you know, what are some of the most iconic moments that you still look back on and say, this defined me and this is why I'm going to hold on to it. And this is going to make me a better coach. Yeah. For, for me, like I told you before, I never was able to participate in these incredible big races like the Tour de France or the Giro, or even like uh, the great classics, because I simply, and just, I just wasn't good enough. I didn't have, what was your role within the team also? Sorry. I was a sprinter. So basically I was a criterion racer sprinter. Um, I was, I actually early on in my career, really, um, I was going to college, playing hockey in college, and then I went and, and got really lucky and won the world trials for, for the points race on the track. Uh, and the reason why I got lucky is because a guy paid me to go up there and help him, right? I was just going to be his lead out guy. I was going to lead him out every single lap. He would win the sprints, I'd swing up. And just by chance, I got in this early breakaway, I lapped the field. Wow. And then I, and then I got another breakaway and I lapped the field again. And then he started leading me out and I won the trials and I went to the world championships in Hamar, Norway in 93. Did you pay him afterwards? <laughs> no, no. Well, actually it was, it was crazy. He actually made the team as well as an oh, alternate. Good. So we actually both went, which was nice. Um, but uh, I ended up getting fifth place in the elimination of the world championships. And this is our world championships. It's kind of just like the same as triathlon. It's, it's, all the pros go, right? It's not an amateur event. Yeah. It's a, it's a, like the best racers in the world are there, like world tour guys, Tour de France, green Jersey winners. I mean, it's, it's a legit, it's a legit uh, event. Yeah. Um, and after I did that, I was like, you know what? I just got to go with, I got to take this another step. I got to like, give this a shot. Um, here's a kid that's going to school full-time wins the world trials, goes to the world championships, gets fifth place in the elimination. And I was psyched. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to pull back hockey a little bit and really go for it. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, I signed a, a professional contract with Saturn, the Saturn cycling team. And it, my career kind of went from there. But what most people don't know is that I really had a stumble. Um, my first full year as a professional, I was cut from the team and it was just a disaster. Like, I mean, imagine your first year and a half as a pro cyclist, you can't finish a race. You can't win a race. It's just, it was a disaster. So I literally was like, I'm done with cycling. I'm going to become like a financial planner or something. Yeah. So I went down this other, other Avenue and my wife's like, you just got to give it one more shot. Yeah. You just got to get in there and train your butt off and like, see what you can do. And that's when I really dug deep into the science of, of the sport and, and did a really good job of trying to really maximize my fitness. I lost a bunch of weight. I really focused on my diet. I went and did a bunch of training camps and it's a long story, but basically I, I, what I was tired my first couple of races back. So I couldn't get out of my own way. I was even worse than I was before. But once I rested a little bit, I started winning bike races and yeah. I went, I went 15 races that year and signed it back with Saturn, which has never happens, right? Once you go backwards in the sport, yeah. I, I signed a professional contract with navigators, won some more races, went back with Saturn. But I think one of my, my, um, key moments in my life was you know, there's, there's this race in my hometown. It's Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's where I was born and raised. All my family is there and it's professional cyclists and triathletes. And you guys know this it's, you know, 
you don't get to perform in front of people that really care about you, right? You're, you're in, on this course with thousands of fans. No one, no one really knows who you are. You don't have any real relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you might know this, Gary, from hockey. When you play in front of your high school or you play in front of your college, it is the greatest thing ever. You score a goal. Everybody in the stands knows you. you come out of the locker room. Everyone's getting excited. I mean, it's a different experience than playing in front of people you don't know that really don't know you, that you have no relationship. So my biggest my biggest win ever, in my opinion, was in front of my hometown in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The entire city was out there. I broke away with these two Australian kids, um, England and Menzies, and I took off with a half a lap to go and won the race. And it was just the coolest thing ever because not because it was the biggest race I've ever done, but it was more about um, the relationships I had with the people in that crowd and the people that were there. And I've always wanted to win the race. And it was just it was something cool. So you win your hometown event. I think that's that's probably the highlight for me. And that little nugget just pushes your career along because then you've got that fire to, to remember. For sure. I mean, like you just, in my position as a sprinter, you have to win. You know, you can't come third or second. You can't do it. So there's, so there's always a lot of pressure for the field sprinters and yeah. they never kind of get a break. And I think it's always, they got, they get the most glory because they win the most time. But I think at the end of the day, it also wears you out mentally. The sport is, is hard. I mean, you guys know it, like you're always kind of on, you're always thinking about, what you could, could be doing at a higher level. Um, I could be sitting down and no drinking. I mean, there's all these elements that I feel are, are stressful. And then you throw in field sprinting where you're going 40 miles an hour right next to a guy and you cannot hit your brakes. And there's this element of fear and you could crash. And as soon as those things start to kind of come into your brain, you got to pull out, you know what I mean? And that's what happened to me. That's why I retired. I just was not ready now that I had a second kid to take those chances anymore. And, and, and it's just, I wasn't good enough to be a Peter Sagan where I can win solo. So once I couldn't sprint anymore, once I lost my nerve a little bit, I knew it was time to pull the ripcord. Well, anyone who's a father on this listenership will yeah. agree. I'm sure For once, sure. once you have the kids in the picture, it's not worth risking. And we've seen, yeah. you know, the major players within the sprinting field, have the most tragic accidents. So. Oh yeah. I, had, I mean, I would crash. I mean, you guys probably crash, you know, once or twice in your career, I would crash five or six times a year. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Anything else before we dive into the velocity stuff there, fellas? Crashing five or six times a year. Just curious what kind of broken bones list you got? Like any, yeah. any really, really big ones or. Yeah. Just I mean, I broke collarbones. Yeah, exactly. I broke both collarbones, um, fingers. I had a crazy crash where I, I smashed my hand and it's probably the big, the only issue, the only issue I have from crashes that I've ever had is my smashed hand. I have to, I, I can't really close my, my hand like I normally could. And I still, to this day, have to get cortisone shots in my hand every six months. Oh, wow. And now with gravel, you know, gravel's become so big there's all of this shaking and jarring and it's made my hand like just absolutely terrible. And the crazy thing about, actually I've had one other bad crash on ice. I fell on some black ice and, and blew up my glenoid cavity, but even that is not so bad. The hand, like you don't realize how valuable and how like pain you have in your hand and how much you need your hands to do these different things that I'm thinking that if I ever have to stop cycling, it's going to be because of my hand. Nothing okay. else. Well, maybe mm-hmm. just, uh, I take care of it. I double wrap my bars. I try to do as little gravel as I can and I get it. I get cortisone every year. Well, gravel bikes are getting full suspension now. What the heck? Yeah. Yeah. The soft tires are helping me out a lot. If you run 30 pounds of pressure, it really saves your hands. So we're here. Well, I'm here actually with you because you all invited me to come participate in a startup platform that you, you know, put a lot of effort and time and intensity into to develop. And um, is being a participant as an instructor. And also I've had, I've ridden other 
you know, I've ridden the Zwifts, I've ridden, I've tried a Peloton, and I feel like there's some disconnects that you all have identified and you're filling in the voids. And, you know, I, I won't take too much of your thunder, but I would just say the reason why this platform is so effective is because anyone can show up to a, an indoor trainer workout or a spin class and mindlessly push pedals. Yeah. But with what you all and, and we all as instructors under your platform are going to do is put in key concepts from reality based on experience and make you a smarter cyclist. What is the, the phrase is better inside? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you hit it on the head. And let me start by just by saying, um, you know, Nick was truly impressive. What he came in here and just, he did nine classes in the span of about 40, about 50 hours or eight classes in the span of 50 hours. And what was really impressive is, you know, I just, you know, I think about when I think about cyclists, I think about pro athletes, pro triathletes, sometimes they get a bad rap of being a prima donna. I mean, people get these things where this is one of those things where I need to have everything perfect. And if I don't have X, Y, and Z, I can't perform. This guy's a tough dude. You know, you really are a grinder. And I, I, I know, seriously, yeah, I really respect that <laughs> because I was a grinder my whole life. Yeah. I just would say, I put me in front of something and I'll freaking get it done. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And people can say that all the time, but to actually do it like you did it yeah. was really, really impressive. And the fact that you kept your threshold for the first day of three classes or maybe even four classes, I don't know, I can't remember how many you did the first day. And you just kept knocking these things out back and forth. And it's one thing to knock out a class at your threshold and talk the entire time and really have to be on stage and have the lights on and this thing being recorded. And it's gonna be in our, in our, in our on-demand library forever is to come out of the class and be happy and yeah. smiling and encouraging. And, and just, I just, your professionalism was just absolutely stone cold. Awesome. And Thank I just, you. I can't say enough good things about Thanks, you Rob. coming in and knocking out these classes. But I think what's really cool about the classes and the platform is you can get superstars like Nick, uh, you can get Jackson, the, the bigger ones than me, of course. And the rest, yeah, we're going to not bigger, but, but just different. Right. Yeah. I think, What's cool about this platform is we have a great set of coaches that are going to do rides on a regular basis, and they're going to teach athletes, um, the, like I said before, the nuance of going faster. It's not just about building your threshold power. It's not just about increasing horsepower. I mean, that's an important component, right? The more horsepower you have, you know, obviously you have the opportunity to go significantly faster, but cycling, in my opinion, is way more complicated than that. And that, to me, is we our whole platform is designed to, to, to help the coach deliver that nuance, that education and that information that really means that, that helps people go faster. I'll give some examples of that in a little bit, but I mean, as you know, there's other platforms out there, like you said, I think Zwift is great for long steady state rides, maybe some racing, maybe getting people together in a big group and feeling a, a sense of community there. I think they do a really nice job of that. I don't think anybody at this point, including Peloton does a really good job of teaching people how to be a great bike rider. I think Peloton does an incredible job of entertaining you, helping people gain fitness, getting your heart rate up. Their instructors are awesome. They bring you in. I think it's a great platform, but it's significantly different than Velocity because yes. Velocity is really focused on cycling specifically, not just general fitness like Peloton is. And these other platforms like Swift and R RGT, I think they're more focused on creating an environment that is entertaining to be in, mm -hmm. but not necessarily still teaching people the skill of cycling. And what I mean by the skill of cycling is I'm sure all of you guys can agree with me that you've been at money triathlons where you see people going up a hill and too big of a gear, down a hill and too easy of a gear, missing their shifting for whatever reason. 
And all of that translates to inefficiencies mm -hmm. as it relates to speed and power delivery, as well as fatigue, right? If we can have people do the same power with less fatigue, because we teach them how to pedal accurately, how to drop the heel at the top of the stroke and start the stroke earlier, these are things that we really want to help athletes learn that will not only translate to more power, but hopefully more speed. The importance of aerodynamics. I mean, you did a lot of that in your workout. I mean, aerodynamics is enormous, right? If we can help teach people how to ride and do intervals in an aerodynamic position and un, un, you know stretch out and open their back up when the speeds are slow or you're going around a corner to give their bodies a rest from that position is also really important. So I think that sort of stuff is what we're really focused on. And I always believe that there is no one way to get good, right? Mm -hmm. I want to learn from Nick. I want to learn from Jackson. I want to learn from Andy Potts. I want to learn from Meredith Kessler. I want to learn from a lot of different types of athletes because there is no one way. I mean, you may have an idea of what works well for you, but ultimately we can always keep learning. So we want this platform to be an opportunity for coaches to come here, teach people their skill set, as well as, you know, build their brands, like get, give them the opportunity to get out there in the world um, because we know how difficult these sports are. And we want to create a, a place where, Great triathletes, great coaches can come, make a little extra money, build their brand and leverage their, their network instead of just like sending them pictures and getting nothing for it. Mm -hmm. We believe that you have something to give. You've done a great job building your network. Now come, you know, reap some of the benefits of that network through our platform. That was yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, I've, I've heard, yeah, Peloton's it, the thing that relates to me, like the biggest, closest comparison would be Peloton and, and just in terms of how it looks and, and how it works. And the other thing that I think, you know, hasn't even been mentioned is the simple, the simple fact that you're using your own bike, your own trainer, your own power meter, all those things that I think for a cyclist are critical. Like you need to be comfortable with that equipment and, and not to mention, why would you go buy a Peloton bike when you have all this equipment that's perfectly good to use? Um, so that's really, you know, a, a big selling point for me as well. It's like, oh, you have everything you need. All you really need is this, the subscription and, you know, you're set there with the coach, um, a coach workout. So, so you guys like, just talk a little bit more about how things actually look in terms of the platform. Like there's live workouts, there's preset workouts. What do you get with a membership? Like, how does it kind of work? Sure. Yeah. So, so right now you get two weeks for free. You just go to the website dqvelocity.com and you sign up and you get two weeks. Um, we're in the process of removing the paywall. It may be up there right now. It may not, but we want to really make sure people don't stop when they say even two weeks for free. I mean, sometimes when I see two weeks for free and then they say, give me your credit card. I'm like, if I don't remember, I'm going to get yeah. clipped here. So we're taking all that away. So don't worry about that. If you're going in there and you just want to check it out, but basically, um, it's, it's going to eventually be $40 a month. So it's the same kind of price point as Peloton. And what it gets is, is a very similar offering of Peloton. You can do live classes and live rides. And we have 15, we're probably going to end up having 25 over the next two or three months, live classes uh, a, a week. And basically what a live class is, is you just see a schedule of live classes. You click on it, you can come in late and come in early. You can always ride. And an instructor comes up and boom, you're with that instructor one on, uh, not one-on-one, -on -one, but you'll see that instructor's face. And then you'll have the opportunity from a leaderboard to see pretty much everybody else in the class if they're in the top 25 uh, on the leaderboard. You also have the opportunity to pull some friends in from that leaderboard and see their actual data and their picture if they allow it. So you have this social element. So if, if, if Jackson, you and I wanna ride together and take one of Nick's live classes, 
we would literally send each other an email and our pictures would appear in that bottom box, our live picture from our, from our camera, from our, from our uh, computer. And then we'd also be able to see our power outputs as well, um, which is kind of fun. And then we'll- So you can compete with your buddies and say, hey, uh, I'm gonna- You can definitely compete with your, your ass and do a higher percent of my FTP or whatever it is. Do you use FTP percentage or what are the metrics you can see? Yeah, we use FTP percentage, but we also use 90%. We use sweet spot as, as an anchor as well. So your sweet spot is roughly 90% of your FTP. So that's kind of the center of the gauge and that's kind of a hundred percent. And basically the gauge is based off a percentage of that number um, of that sweet spot. And the nice thing about it, Jackson, is there's this power range, right? We really believe in giving people the opportunity to have good days and bad days. I think from, a, from coaching for so many years that if you tell me you set something in erg mode or tell me I have to do an exact power for a certain period of time, I'm either going to hit that and not learn anything, I'm either going to be above it or below it and feel like, but ultimately, if you lock somebody into a power output, even if you just tell them to do 220 watts, you're creating a box within which they have to work in, right? And in my opinion, I think there needs to be flexibility on both sides of that 220 watts. And the reason why is because when you're really having a great day, that is an opportunity to make incredible gains and learn something about your training. Great days and bad days are learning opportunities, huge learning opportunities. And if you don't allow that to happen, whether you have somebody in erg mode or fixed power or just giving one solitary power output to hit, you're really not going to take advantage of feeling really great. And when you feel really, really great, you can think about what did I do the last week or two to, to get to this area? And I got to do a lot more of that. Conversely, if I feel crappy, you don't throw the workout away unless you're really, really bad, right? If you're, if you're outside of 10% of where you should be, you might want to just rest. But if you're within that 10% of that target, you can still get a lot of benefit and not hit that number. So we always have a range, especially on these higher end intervals. But as the range goes down, as the power starts to go down and get closer to threshold, we may at times really close that range down to force you to have really good control. Because a lot of cyclists that I know don't have really good steady state power. Their, constant, their normalized power is a lot different than their average power. So giving people the opportunity, like a competition, to stay within a 10 watt range of the target teaches people really how to control output. Now we start throwing grading in there and they have to shift perfectly to keep the power in there. And that really teaches shifting skills. So those are the types of things that make our platform special and teach you those skills that I talked about before. So that range also gives people the opportunity to have great days and bad days, but it also gives us the ability to control your pedaling if we want to really narrow in that range at times. And I'll say too, as a coach guiding athletes through these workouts, um, the ability to have this large, you know, in your face gauge, almost, uh, it's like a massive speedometer and there's other like little rev counters and, and energy use calculations and caloric output. I think that amount of data on the screen, including the RPM data, we can manipulate and talk to all these points as a coach and remind people why they're actually doing these workouts. That was the key thing for me, being able to say, I've had to spend hours in an aerodynamic position over 90 to 110% of my effort. Yeah. So this is why we're doing a 15 minute sustained output. I mean, I know all the fun spikes, ups and downs, the VO2 work is sexier. It looks fun. You're working hard, but the meat and potatoes is some of our training platforms don't often capture the long, hard stuff. And you're not alone. You've got a guiding coach telling stories, yeah. relating it. So I think that part of the platform as well, is just monumental in terms of growth where athletes are missing it right now. 
For sure. And even in those 15 minute intervals, right? If you tell your athlete, go out and do a 15 minute interval at, you know, 95%, give or take two or 3% of your, of your FTP, they're going to get something out of that, right? They're going to get the stimulus. But now you take Nick's class and he's telling you, you know what? I want, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to increase our cadence by five for this next two or three minutes. He's going to help get you through that 15 minutes, having a lot more fun, but also teach learning and skill. We're yeah. going to get aerodynamic as we possibly can. You just feel what that's like in your hips. If you're feeling a little bit tight, you might want to slide your seat forward. Like there's all these components that you can work people through a 15 minute interval that there's no way you can write those comments in training peaks and no. actually go to these. I mean, like the ability to coach someone through a 15 minute interval, even though it's boring is so much more effective than writing it in a training plan and giving it to an athlete and letting them kind of just, yeah, you know, burn up. For coaches, this platform is, there's nothing like it, especially uh, yeah. for guys like me who I work with athletes all over the world. Sometimes I never get to meet them in person. Yeah. So having this video connection, I can see the looks on their face. We can see where they're carrying tension and, yep. and remind them to relax. So, I, you know, Jackson, Garrick, you're both coaches. I can probably understand uh, you both find the value there as well, right? Yeah, I mean, something that I think we all have probably come across as coaches, you have that winter block sometimes, but never translates into that spring riding or into the summer. Cause I feel like sometimes people write programs like, yeah, I can get you really good at a 20 minute, like test on the trainer. No problem. Like that's very easy to do. But once you get into the spring and you start riding outside, it never really translates. And that's because you haven't developed those skills. You, you can't feel the road. You don't, you don't know how to ride it outside, how to deal with the wind. And that's something that I feel like is really missing with, with indoor training, even on Zwift, like it's super laggy with the climbing and you don't really feel it. So this, I feel really fills that void. For sure. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, it's the classic, you want your athletes. I mean, you want them 100% to beat people with higher thresholds in the same weight, right? That makes from a coaching perspective, yeah. that's what I want to like stake my claim on. I want guys that beat guys with 400 watt thresholds with a 380 watt threshold. I mean, wouldn't that be the coolest thing, even though you're the same size and yeah. they don't, and even from an aerodynamic perspective, even if their CDA is the same, I'm still going to get you. Tactically, or, yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm going to understand when I'm coming up on somebody, what that draft range is and how to slingshot and like train that slingshot and how that feels and certain areas that are, that are courses with more turbulence, right. With more uh, grade and terrain understanding how to pace those courses properly it's not about holding power steady right but the more range the athlete has the better they can pace that for more speed right the slower they're going the harder they go but and and teaching people that skill i mean it's just it's 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 a it's a game changer for these triathletes yeah triathletes we always are alone anyways so we're just like well i'm just gonna go for three hours in the trainer but i mean you could even still warm up for 35 minutes, jump into a class and then continue your cool down a little bit longer. Like just, these are all basically one hour focus classes. And the reason I think one hour is great is because you can do a lot in an hour. Yeah. The warm up doesn't need to be super extended. The first interval is going to wake you up and then your alertness just kind of pops up. So I think one hour is a good one. I mean, I would extend it to a little longer, but I would I'd probably run out of stuff to talk about eventually. I'd be like talking about grocery shopping at some point. No, 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 you're, you're right. I, I think goes grocery shopping six times a day. So he's got to talk about it at least once. I, I've, I've, I've literally called him twice. We've had two phone calls and both times he was 
doing, he was either grocery shopping and one time he had an altitude thing in his face. I mean, it was absolutely classic. So he's on the run for sure. Yeah. But one, one of our ideas at, at Velocity is people can't really handle more. Most people can't handle more than two really hard intensity rides a week. Yeah. Um, I think people think that they can handle more, right? And if the intensity is low and it's more sweet spot based, maybe you can handle three days a week. But I've been doing this for a long time. And as soon as I start giving athletes three really hard days and they have to be really hard in a week, they might not feel it right away, but in three or four weeks, they start to, they start to crack a little bit. Yeah. So I think from a standpoint of, of twice a week, really engaging in this platform and doing very, very specific solid work. And you can do VO2 work. So we only really have three types of workouts, guys. We have VO2, which are shorter, higher intensity intervals. We have threshold-based work that's longer, steadier state intervals. And then we have blended a combination of VO2 and threshold. And those are the workouts that we have from our coaching staff, the ones that I write. Coaches that come in like Nick or anybody else that comes to the platform, they can write whatever types of workouts they want. And if they want to do 90 minutes or they want to do 30 minutes or they want to do more tempo work, I welcome all of that. I think that's all really, really important. But Outside of that, we really believe that if you're going to train really hard and you're going to get this stimulus that's going to actually help you grow, you can't handle much more than two a week. Um, yeah. And, and people think that, hey, I'm a really experienced cyclist. I've been training a ton more. I can do more than two a week. It actually doesn't work that way, right? Because the really, really good cyclists can hurt themselves more yeah, you're than, than, deeper. Beginner hiker, than a beginner cyclist. So actually, beginner cyclists can probably handle more than two a week because their deep isn't that deep, right? Yeah. They don't really do that much damage. So you know, obviously everybody's a little bit different, but that's, that's kind of the, the general idea in theory. Yeah. I mean, I just like to touch on something that, that was, was mentioned that um, the coaches can see. So the coaches can see all the participants, right. If they allow it or they all, so the coach can see all the participants. That's, I mean, something that is incredibly valuable. Um, think about like all of us are coaches here. How often do we actually see what our athlete looks like on the trainer? Are they riding arrow ever? Are they always, you know, in their bars? Are they, is their arrow position terrible? And like their head is off to the side, like all these things that you just don't see when you're just looking at numbers. So um, that is, is really key for feedback for the athletes. And then also obviously the athletes being able to see the coach, um, to have that visual of what should it look like? What should I be doing? Um, you also call them out during the session a bit and say, you know, I see you out there crushing it. Or if you need to, like, it, I noticed as when I was doing a live session, I could see sometimes athletes might need to take like five seconds of a break. I'd see the box around their name turn blue or red for a moment. Um, and then I would understand, I can make a comment about that and say, it's all right. If you need to take a couple seconds, just come back when you're ready. So I think it allows people to have multiple resets within an effort rather than just giving up and feeling like a failure, their peers are still driving the horse. So they're going to just get back on theirs eventually once they feel ready. So you're right. I mean, being, having that visual was a, is a big motivator for me as a, as a guiding person on this workout. And also I think other athletes, and if I say something stupid or funny, it's nice to see someone smile or something yeah. like that. It gives, yeah, it gives you Jackson, it gives you the coach a lot of energy to see people in the class. Um, but there's a couple of really cool things about that. For starters, you know, even if you're taking an on-demand class with Nick, if Nick saw somebody in his class that he felt like was doing something that wasn't quite right, that cue will help any person on demand 
kind of reset and make sure that they're not doing that exact thing. For example, if someone is, is you know, like you said, is should, should be upright or should be aerodynamic and they're upright, you can just say, hey, Julie, you know what I mean? I see that you're upright. Maybe it's a flexibility thing, but really do me a favor and try to get a little bit lower. You don't have to be as low as I am potentially, but maybe just try to get a little bit lower and assume that the lower you get, the less your drag is going to be. And somebody hearing that on demand that, that doesn't see Julie in the class, will take that cue and apply it to themselves, hopefully. So it's it's really about this interaction on these live classes that you can apply to anybody taking the class on demand. And the cool thing about it is instantaneously, you see all these people and you know if they're complying, like you talked about, by the color of their square. If their square is green, they're golden. They got cadence and power exactly mm -hmm. on or within the range, right? We talked about that range. If they're red, they're above the range. And sometimes you want them above the range because they're feeling great. Or if they're blue, they're a little bit below. So you can, and there's also a leaderboard. So you can also have some, have a little bit of fun with people right away if they're below or above the, 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 the target. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think we've definitely explored everything I think a coach would yeah. really want to know about what you all are offering. Obviously you're going to continue to grow develop um you know you're still how, how long ago did you launch we just kind of launched like last month um and we and we really haven't turned any of the real uh social components on we you you've been one of our first you know professional athletes that we brought in here which is terrific um but the greatest thing about these coaches and these athletes coming in anybody that goes and takes one of nick's on-demand classes or takes a live class from nick nick is going to get paid for that class and for that person. And to me, it really motivates these coaches and these athletes to really step up their game and do a great job on this platform and deliver great quality product. If they don't, that's the way they get paid. Yeah. How many people come and take their classes and how many people that they that they, they can engage with on a regular basis in their live classes. So I think what ends up happening is, is you get great coaches like Nick, you get great athletes telling great stories. And I think it's gonna, and the content will always be new and always be fresh. And the people that come in here and do a great job for us and continue to, 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 to see their class numbers go up and up and up, we want to take that to another level and, and allow them to have a weekly class potentially and set up something in their house, which is a little more convenient. They don't have to drive to Chicago um, and, and set up a studio in their home and they can take classes on a regular, they do classes on a regular basis, which is, which would boost up our live schedule, which would be great. And it'll also give them an opportunity to make some more money. Yeah. And you guys have some, I think I heard a couple of names who are going to be coming in the near future. And I think yeah, that's, I was so excited to hear who's coming in to be a guest instructor. Um, the male and female instructor list is already stellar, but more experienced stories and, you know, Jackson, you and I know a lot of these people. So we're going to be like, oh, oh. what they say. Yeah. I'm going to be like, oh, we got to do their workouts so that uh, we see yeah. what's making them so good. <laughs> Yeah. What's his face? Because you did so good. Um, Cyclists as well. They, they, me, obviously, we we love the world of triathlon, but we, I think for me, I can learn a lot from the triathlon world. I did one Ironman back in 2008, and boy, was it one of the most special days of my life. But I think the triathletes can also learn from the cyclists, oh, yeah. and we can learn from one another, and kind of bringing these two worlds together a little bit. I think they're coming together naturally. I think the the technology and, and the importance and the power outputs they're they're really close i mean and you can see some of these professional cyclists going to the triathlon world and struggling a little bit right i mean you got andrew talansky you know guy who won a dolphin libre struggling in ironman just a little bit and i think it's it's very complicated and then you see these triathletes coming to the cycling side and really having a hard time so maybe gravel too like a lot of triathletes oh, yeah. are into gravel yep 
for sure. I, you know, Starkwitz is coming in to do some classes and, and he's, he's, he's going to run a little bit of a gravel schedule, I think this year coming up, which will be exciting. Hopefully we can have a little fun and race together in some of these big gravel events. Nice. Well, nice. I think we've covered a whole lot. Obviously we've really dug into velocity. Uh, Jackson Garrick, I think you to agree. Any final thoughts before we let Robbie get back into his busy schedule? Cause I see him running around like crazy yeah. all day. Jack. So anybody can just sign up now, vqvelocity.com. Yep. They go to vqvelocity.com, sign up for two weeks for free. And it, I think if they even ride twice, they get another two weeks for free. So we really want people to try the platform. It's not about getting people to sign up and forget about it. It's really, we want people riding. If, the more people that ride, the better the feedback that we get. And just as a, as a, as a kind of a, a note here, we are far, far, far from perfect. And it's going to evolve over this next six months a bunch. And for us, we really appreciate anybody signing up, taking a class and giving us feedback. I mean, we really, really want to learn. And, in the, in the, and the more understanding that you have of the sport of cycling, the more feedback that you can give us, the better we can, we're going to be. And, and I just, I appreciate everybody's patience if something doesn't work absolutely perfect, because it's not going to be perfect. It's actually still somewhat in a beta phase, but um, I just, I just really appreciate anybody giving us a shot and, and giving us feedback, because that's, that's how we're going to continue to get better. Yeah, and one more note, if you do go on and try to run a platform or a live class, just do yourself a favor, show up with um, like an actual laptop running Chrome. running yeah. Google Chrome. That's the best surface. Like it, iOS right now is just any developer knows if you've ever done anything on iOS, try to push it out. It takes a long time. Even Zwift was not available for anything outside of a PC related platform for, I think, a couple of years. Yeah, thanks for saying that, because you're right. If, if you try to get on an on a, on a iPad, it's just not going to work. We're close on iPad, so so if, if, if stay tuned. We're going to launch that. We actually launched it initially with it, but now it's just taking too much to keep, uh, you know, uh, tuning up the iPad. So I, like you said, Chrome, you need a Chrome browser. It works best on a, on a, on a laptop, not a phone. Phone, you can't see enough. There's, there's too much going on. And then the last thing is, is check out Nick Chase's uh, guest classes. I think he, he's, he does a really good job, you know, and, 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 and he has the best abs in triathlon. I know he's told us this before. I didn't but, say uh, it. No, hold on a second. No, he, he keeps his shirt on the entire time. The funniest thing was, hey, RV, do you mind if I do a couple of my classes with my shirt off? <laughs> we, we get to hear that, but that was, uh, that was, that was something. So. I left it covered, uh, very modest here. <laughs> I did request a tank top, though, so we could see the guns. Yeah. But anyways, thanks so much Thank for your you. time. I can't say good enough things about this, everything you're doing. I know the, the fellows here are going to love it too once we get them on board somehow. But uh, thanks for your time, buddy. Hey, cheers. I appreciate it, guys. Good luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming, baby. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.